The Bible's in the, in the pews in front of you. If you want to turn to page number 1147. If it's the same as the Bible I have here. <laughs> 1147. We're, 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 the reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And we're reading from verse 9 uh, to 20. Which is over the page. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food. But God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead. And he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So reads the word of God. Les, thank you very much. Uh, please do keep that Bible passage open in front of you so that we can see that what we are looking at is really what God is saying. Um, as you heard that passage read, uh, no doubt um, you could see that some of the issues we're going to touch on this morning are current, uh, controversial, and maybe actually deeply personal. So we're going to need a lot of help. As we come to this, I'm going to ask for the Lord to give us that. Let me lead us in prayer. 
Almighty God, the maker of all, as the children upstairs think about how you made their bodies, as we down here think about how you made ours and what they are for, we pray for your help. We pray that you would help us to see who we are in light of your word. We help us, would you help us to understand your good and perfect ways? Would you help us to have the grace that we need where we have failed? Please would you help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Have sex. That's what we hear from everywhere, isn't it? Whether you're watching a series on Netflix, or uh, you're uh, reading stuff online, or you're uh, reading some of the graffiti in the toilets in school, or you're just chatting with your friends, or even if you're looking at the laws that are put together for our society. We're told that all our sexual desires are natural, and we should be free to act on them. In fact, if we don't satisfy them, if we're not having sex, it's not natural. The only rules are you need to be old enough, there needs to be protection, and consent needs to be given. Apart from that, yet in church, doesn't it seem like the message is, don't have sex? What do we do? Do we repress these desires? Are they somehow wrong? Maybe we just don't talk about it, it's a little bit too embarrassing. Well, as we come to the Bible, God is not embarrassed to talk about sex. He designed sex. As we come to this great Roman city of Corinth, we find that their world, many years ago, not so different to ours. A world where actually sexual expression is alive and well. And as we come to the church in Corinth, what we find is a church that thinks they know what their bodies are for and what sex is for. They say that they know and they are free. They they think that they're truly spiritual, mature, knowledgeable. Well, look at how Paul starts this passage that we've just had read. Verse 9, do you not... No. If you remember from last time, this question is just repeated by Paul through the passage. It's like an axe cutting at the base of a tree at their pride as he says, look, verse 2 of of chapter 6, do you not know? Verse 3, do you not know? Verse 9, do you not know? Verse 15, do you not know? Verse 16, do you not know? Verse 19, do you not know? In other words, you don't know. You're not as knowledgeable as you think you are. What is sex for? What are our bodies for? Why do we have these sexual desires? Well, we're going to look at this this morning. Um, Two big things we're going to see that we need to know if we're going to use sex and bodies in the right way, in the best way. Here is the first one. If, you, if you're a Christian, this says to us, know what you are, you are washed by Jesus. Paul, here in verse 9 and following, is wanting to give them a loving warning. 
Have a look again. Do you not know that the wicked... This is actually a continuation of what he was saying before, that the word wicked is actually the same as the word wronged in, in verse 7 and 8. Uh, why not rather be wronged, verse 7, 8? Um, you yourselves cheat and do wrong. So verse 9 is really, do you not know that the ones who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, some of us may be sitting here hearing that and thinking, really? Why is God so restrictive? in this area of sex. I was chatting to a man, he grew up in Grosvenor. Um, he's no longer following Jesus. And, and I said to him, you know, if you ever want to chat uh, about stuff, you know, I'd love to do that. And he said, actually, I do have one question. Do you think that gay relationships are wrong? I tried to gently explain that actually it's, it's a lot less about what I think. And it's about looking at what God says. And try to talk about God's good design. Many people try to make the Bible say something else. Maybe we wish it said something else. These verses couldn't be clearer. Sexual immorality, they're in... Verse 9, halfway through. In, in the Bible, what that means is any sex before or outside of biblical marriage. Biblical meaning uh, committed, heterosexual, monogamous marriage. And so, as we go further into this Verse, it includes adultery. It includes homosexual practice. Some people have tried to explain away this bit of verse 9. They say, well, um, maybe it's about prostitutes, male prostitutes, so it's about paying for sex. Or it's about male, um, male, sorry, homosexual offenders. So it's, it's about offenses, sex crimes. The, the words are actually m much better translated in the newer version of the NIV, the 2011, because literally what they mean is the passive and active partners in the male homosexual act. It covers the lot. And probably it's about men here in Corinth because that was what was prevalent. And so maybe you're sitting here thinking, well, but seriously, this is it. Here's the proof. God is anti-gay. God is anti-gay. I think I want to say that isn't a fair description. Because for a start, God is way more anti than that. He's actually against any sexual activity outside of biblical marriage. Now, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus or you're new to this kind of stuff and you're just thinking, like, what on earth? What is God's problem? Well, can I encourage you just to hang, hang on in there? We're going to see later in the passage why God has put these restrictions in place. But if you are a follower of Jesus, 
I think as we come to talk about this area, we need to be really careful. We mustn't think that homosexual uh, sin is in some special category. If we're a Christian, as we were, we've been hearing in the kids' slots, we believe that we are all made by God, all made in the image of God, and so all have intrinsic value, all equally valued. And so there is absolutely no room for homophobia or for bullying. We are called to love our neighbors, irrespective of their sexual orientation. If we're Christians, we believe that we are all sinners. And actually, for all of us, especially if we're uh, not very young, in the area of sex. And God has showed love for all of us. Our only hope for any of us is in Jesus Christ. Can, can I say to you, if you are here today and you are someone who is a Christian and yet struggles in this area, you are same-sex attracted, you're attracted to people of the same sex, that is very challenging for you. And at times it must feel very lonely, very hard. You need to know that Jesus loves you, that he will help you fight those daily struggles, and that actually he has given you this church family, that you should tell a few of your friends so that they can pray for you, so that they can encourage you, because actually all of us need love and prayer if we're to fight the temptations and sin in our lives. Actually, as we look in this passage here in chapter 6, we see that sexual sin, homosexual sin, they're not in a special category. Notice a few things from the list in verses 9 and 10. Do you see, it's not a list just about sexual sin. There's other sins. These seem to be things that are especially Corinthian. There could be other things we could add to this list. Notice this list doesn't differentiate. All of these are serious. Whether it's sexual sin, or greed, or the way we use our words to slander someone, all of these things will mean people will not inherit the kingdom of God. Notice that I think most importantly, that this list isn't actually a list of sins. Have a look down. It's a list of people, of people types. This is really important because this list isn't sort of what should you do or not do to get into heaven. All of us have failed, haven't we? To do what is right, to not do what is wrong. I deserve judgment for the way that I have treated God, the way I've lived my life. Now, what we have in this list is who you are or who they were. It's what defines you. And so, well, because, have a look at verse 11. Paul writes to them, and that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Christians, we were 
defined by our sin, driven by it. In a sense, you could have said it was our identity. And now, through faith in Jesus Christ, by the Spirit's power, we have been washed so that God sees us as clean. We have been sanctified, holified, set apart as a child of God. That is our new identity. And justified. It's a legal term. It means righteousified. We, we are always seen in the right by God because of what Jesus has done. There's a, a lady I know, she used to be an alcoholic. That's a fair definition. It defined her. Now, she is a Christian who continues to struggle with alcohol. That makes all the difference. This morning, maybe as we look at this area, as we we read this list, where do you feel the guilt or the shame? Maybe it is sexual sin. With another, you've gone too far with your girlfriend or boyfriend or, or you've been unfaithful. Maybe it is on your own. Masturbation and porn. Maybe it is your, in, in your head and heart. It, it is lust we have fantasized with him or her in our head. Maybe, actually, it's in other areas. It, it is slander. We've used our words to abuse and attack the reputation of someone else. Or it's greed. Quietly we have amassed more and more. And we don't really care about those in need. For me, that there is stuff in my past that I am deeply ashamed of. There is stuff in my present that I still daily battle with. You... Whatever it is, if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are, verse 11, washed, cleansed, sanctified, justified. Just just take a moment, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, just to pause and taste that wonder and that reality of what Jesus has done for us. If you've not put your faith in Jesus Christ, do you know that this is really your only hope? And that nothing compares to knowing God's love and forgiveness. There's nothing like it. Paul says to the Corinthians, this is what you were. And so don't live like that any longer. Don't Be like those who are defined by sin. Because if you are defined by sin, well then you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Instead, know you are washed by Jesus. Know who you are. I'm just going to deal with this door. Secondly, 
Know what you are for. And it's to bring honor to Jesus. I want to take you back to Corinth, and I want you to hear some of what they were hearing. Verse 12. Everything is permissible for me. Everything is permissible for me. Verse 13. Food for the stomach and stomach for the food. Maybe not quite the words we use, but don't, don't those sentiments sound familiar? I'm free to satisfy my desires. My, my appetites, they're only natural. Suppression is bad. My body, to do what I like. My body, my right. Actually, in verses 12 and 13, there's no quotation marks in the original. So it's really hard to know, is this what the Corinthian Christians are saying? Is this what maybe Corinthian culture is saying? Or I think actually this could be what they have heard Paul saying. Because actually it sounds very like what we're going to see, he says, in chapter 8, 9, and 10. And that actually what's happened is that the Corinthians have misunderstood what Paul meant. They have a wrong view of freedom. You see, Paul says, yeah, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. We're not free to do anything. Some things aren't beneficial. If I only ever drank Coke, I'm, oh, I can do that. It's not good for me. Some things enslave, pull us back into a life of sin. So what are they to use their freedom for? What are they to use it for? Well, have a look at verse 13. Food for the stomach and stomach for food. Well, we know what to do with food. It's for the stomach. But what do we do with our bodies? Well, have a look at verse 13 again. Food for the stomach and stomach for the food, but God will destroy them both. The body... It's not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. What do you think sex, our bodies, our sexual desires are for? The answer here is not sexual immorality, but actually for the Lord Jesus. And then Paul gives us, I think, three reasons as we go through the rest of the passage. Here's the first. If you are a Christian, our bodies will be raised. So what we do with our bodies really matter. Um, you can have a go working out which one it is, but one of my children, we were out in a walk, and we, they were walking in front of me and uh, being really cheeky. And so very gently, I promise you it was gently, I just gave them a bit of a kick in the bum. And they turned around and they went, what, what are you doing? Why, why are you kicking me? I went, it wasn't me, it wasn't me, it was my foot. It wasn't me. And they went, oh, Dad, come on, don't be ridiculous. You can't separate yourself from your body. The, the Corinthians were very likely influenced by Greek culture where the spirit and the body were sort of seen as very separate. The spiritual was good and real. And the body, well, it was insignificant at best or bad at worst. Paul said, no, the body's very important. How do we know? Verse 14. 
By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Our bodies will be raised. We are embodied souls. You can't separate the two. And God is so interested in the body that he will raise us bodily. You see, the next life is not a cloudland. It is going to be a place where we have renewed bodies in a renewed creation. And so it matters what we do with our bodies now. We, we can't say, oh, it wasn't me. Our bodies will be raised. Paul says, secondly, our bodies are joined to Jesus. Back then, particularly men, it was a male-dominated culture. Before Christianity began to influence the culture and, um, and equality for men and women, and especially in the area of sexual ethics. But for, for men back then, if they felt the urge, their wife wasn't enough, they didn't go on Tinder and see who they could hook up with. No, they popped down to the local brothel or even the local temple. They would have found prostitutes at both. And Paul says, don't even think about it. Because if you do, you've forgotten who you're joined to. You've forgotten what sex is. Look at verse 15. Do you, know what your, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. I want you to, um, well, have a look at my forearm. My forearm is a part of my body. Now, we're told that if we are trusting in Jesus, we are joined to him spiritually. It's as if, you know, I'm his forearm. And how could I even consider as his forearm, going and joining myself to someone I'm not permitted to, to a prostitute. We've forgotten who we are joined to if we do that. And we've forgotten what sex is. We live in a culture that, that doesn't know what sex is. Sex is just sex, we're told. Or it's just casual sex. Sex is just about pleasure. Why are Christians so anti-pleasure? The Bible says God created sex, including the pleasure. But sex is about so much more than that. It is about joining one person to another at the deepest level for life. Have a look at verse 16. Do you not know that the one who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. Here is God's original design. This is quoted from, from the beginning of Genesis where we see God's formula. One Male and one female in marriage equals not two, but one. Sex is to help form the strongest earthly bond there is. 
But you know, the Bible actually says it is about even more than that. That that physical joining is meant to be a picture of the spiritual joining of being united to Jesus Christ by faith. Have a look at verse 17. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. See, what is sex about? It's about being joined to Jesus. It's not that we have sex with Jesus. It's that it is a picture. This one flesh uniting is supposed to be a picture of the deep intimacy that we begin when we trust in Jesus, that we will experience in all its fullness in the next life. You see, maybe you're sitting there and you wonder, why do I have all these sexual desires and and God's given me no one to satisfy them with? Or they're no longer with me. Well, it's not because first and foremost, it's about earthly joining. It is at the deepest level to give us desires that are ultimately only fully satisfied when we will meet Jesus. It's to make us long for Jesus. And you see this picture, this motif of sex throughout the Bible as God talks about his relationship with his people. Or as Paul talks about marriage in Ephesians 5. He says, this one flesh, I'm talking about Christ and the church. See, sex, marriage, they're temporary. They're a picture of the unbreakable bond that we have in Jesus for all eternity. And that is why sexual immorality is so serious. It's not just breaking some arbitrary rule. It is distorting the picture that was designed to point to the faithfulness of Christ. It is dishonoring Christ. And it's why it hurts so much. Do you see that in verse 18? Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. It's possible to harm our bodies in all sorts of ways, isn't it? But sex, well, it's deeper. It unites us to another like nothing else, and every break hurts. Have you ever superglued your fingers together? And then when you rip them apart, it hurts, doesn't it? And if you superglue them together again and then you rip them apart and you superglue them together again and you rip them apart and you superglue them together again and you rip them apart, it damages you. And it hurts until the scar tissue begins to build up and you just don't really feel anymore. The world says, have as many sexual partners as you want, the more the better. Sadly, what happens when people do that is that it satisfies less and less. They feel less and less. They are damaged more and more. We think we know better than the God who made us, than the one who longs for us 
to have the best. The third reason why our body is not for sexual immorality but for Jesus is because if we're a Christian, our bodies are possessed by the Holy Spirit. Verse 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Right now, if you are a Christian, God, the Holy Spirit, in all his glory, lives inside of you. You are possessed by him. He's chosen to live in you, to set you apart for God, for his purpose. And boy, it costs. I wonder how you feel about house prices in Dublin at the moment. The cost for the Holy Spirit to live in us. Well, you are not your own. You are bought at a price. It costs the death of Jesus Christ in our place. This is how much God loves us. We know how much he loves us. Do we know what we are for? To bring honor to Jesus? What is sex for? What are our bodies for? What do we do with our sexual desires? Well, we know what we are, washed by Jesus. And we need to know what we are for, to bring honor to Jesus. And it leaves us, I think, in this passage with two commands, one negative and one positive. Here's the negative, verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Did you catch this, the news this morning about the wildfires in Chile? I don't know if you did. 51 dead people fleeing for their lives. We know the kind of things we need to flee from in this world. How about sexual immorality? Instead of asking, how far can I go? We should be saying, how far away can I go? Whether, whether we're a teen, a young adult, or we're gray and old. Whether we're single or married. Will we trust God with our sex life? And listen to what he says. To his warning. And flee. But you know, to do that. We will need to know that what we are fleeing to is better. We'll need to replace our sinful desires with a greater desire. We'll need to desire Jesus. And so here's the positive end of verse 20. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Run towards this God's. You see, we need to know we are washed by Jesus, that we're free from the slavery, the consequences, the punishment of our sin. And we need to know that we are freed to be what we were always meant to be, those who live in a relationship with God and bring honor to Jesus, free to know the one who values us and our bodies, free to enjoy that intimacy of being joined to our Savior. Free to know the help, the Holy Spirit in us to fight sin. And free to look forward to the day when God will raise us. And we will get to see Jesus. 
And we will know him and have every craving, sexual and other, fully satisfied for all eternity. I'm going to lead us in prayer. Oh, gracious God, you know the realities of our lives. You know the culture that we live in. You know the pressures that we are under. You know the voices that we hear. We pray this morning as your people that you would give us ears to hear your good and loving words to us. That we would truly taste and believe the best thing for us is to flee sexual immorality and run to you Run to you for washing. Run to you for help. And run to you that we might bring you the honor that you are worthy of. And goodness me, for us to do that, we need your help. We need one another. And we pray that the fruit of your word this morning would increasingly be lives that taste the forgiveness and love of Jesus. And lives that want more and more to glorify you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite the musicians up.